Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at SKNR.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, pop culture, travel, entertainment, and more. You can also catch me at PinalCentral.com, keyword skewed, which is a network of newspapers that have carried our game reviews. We just had one recently um, added. There's been a bit of a delay due to some upgrades and stuff going on there. But we had our Redfall review post recently, and we have a few others in the works. You can catch our quarterly magazine, Student Reviewed the Magazine. We have the new June issue uh, in the works. And, of course, you can catch me on BGA Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. We put the simulcast on each week. Sci-fi radio, lots of other outlets, and, of course, we have our uh, syndication and such. But right now, uh, Michael and Justin are with us, as always. But we have some very special guest, Joe Beaudry from Phoenix Fan Fusion, is on. And he's going to tell us all about the great things that the convention, uh, which was big when I first came about 12 years ago and has grown considerably over the years, uh, taking part next weekend, a lot of stuff going on. So, Joe, take us away. Let's uh, hear what you got. Hey, good morning. Thanks very much for uh, having me on, and we are really, really excited about this today. Um, so, I'm, I'm not sure uh, if the general audience here knows, but uh, the convention was started in 2002 which makes this year, 2023, our 21st birthday. And our goal is to bring the party this year. One of the new things that we've got this year uh, that we've been working quite hard on is our new party space. It's called the Reactor Room. Uh, it's going to be in Ballroom 120A, and we've got some really exciting events going on there. And we really uh, put a lot of uh, effort and hard work into doing some really cool new stuff. So we've got multiple events going on in that uh, reactor room space. Uh, we're also doing uh, outside uh, this year a silent disco, uh, which would be really cool. On Saturday, we've actually got a, a group of wrestlers coming in, and they're going to build a ring inside one of the rooms uh, and host live wrestling. Um, we've also been working with uh, cast members from the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle classic uh, film. Uh, we've got four turtles, uh, April O'Neil and the Shredder, all coming out to join us as part of a celebration tour. Uh, we're the first convention that will be hosting this. And as part of that, they're going to be doing a uh, panel. Uh, they will be taking photos uh, with fans and uh, doing autographs. And uh, we're also hosting a screening of the 1990 film at the AMC Theater just a block north of the convention center. Um, and we actually just, uh, and one of the first people to hear about this, we just added a second showing of that uh, film for Saturday night. So now, if you couldn't get into the Friday night show, which is sold out, uh, you can now jump online and get tickets for the Saturday night show. Um, we've got uh, a group coming out with an Indiana Jones uh, uh, display piece. Uh, I, I had the privilege of going out and checking out uh, these pieces in person. They are really amazing. I mean, uh, some of the pieces are stream uh, used uh, props and or costumes. Uh, and that'll be in our lower level, uh, right across from our merch booth. So it'll be really easy to find. Uh, you don't need to find X marks the spot. It'll be right there 
We're also doing, uh, as we have for many years now, uh, we were working with Vitalik on a blood drive. This year is special. Uh, we're actually looking to uh, set a record for donations uh, for the state of Arizona in a single day. And to do that, we need to collect 505 units on Saturday, June 3rd. Uh, and we've got extra space and extra tech coming out to uh, help make sure that we can set that record, which hopefully will break next year. Um, we're doing, uh, in our party space, we've got a closing party. So uh, on Sunday at 3 o'clock, we'll be uh, closing out the event with our Adams Family Reunion Party. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're also doing uh, lightsaber tournaments. Got a syndicate saber group coming out and presenting trials of the saber. Attendees will have an opportunity to sign up, and it'll be a bracketed tournament uh, with judges that will uh, judge your fight, your battle. And then, of course, we've got uh, many of our uh, returning favorites. Uh, people uh, love to see every year, including our poker tournament on Friday night that supports kids need to read. Uh, we have a drag and burlesque show again on Friday night. Uh, and on Saturday night, we've got, oh, one more thing for Friday night. We're doing our anime rave again, and that'll be in the reactor room. And on Saturday night in the reactor room, we'll have our villain fall. Uh, and up in our main uh, guest ballroom, we'll have the masquerade costume contest. And of course, like all years, we've got many fantastic celebrity guest panels that'll be going in. Uh, 301A and 301BCD every day of the convention. We've got some spectacular guests this year, um, including uh, Grant Dustin, uh, one of my personal favorites, The Flash. Uh, we've got Paul Bettany, Vision from the Avengers. Uh, we've got Jeremy Renner, Hawkeye. Uh, Chris Eccleston, uh, the Ninth Doctor. Uh, William Shatner. Uh, Sonequa Martin-Green. Uh, Anson Mount. Uh, and so many more, I can't even, can't even remember them. So, very excited for this year. Yeah, it is absolutely impressive. I was just, uh, as the guest announcements were coming in, you guys always go, uh, you know, top shelf with the guest list. But it just kept, as they kept adding on, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And you try to find a theme, like, is it Star Trek? Is it Babylon 5? And then it was like, nope, you you covered everyone. Marvel, Star Trek, Babylon 5, uh, so on and so forth. Before I get on to my questions, uh, Michael or Justin, do you have anything that you wanted to ask uh, right now? Well, I just want to say that I'm yeah, very impressed with the lineup for the show. I mean, there's just so many um, special guests that either are returning favorites or are ones that are, you know don't typically make the circuit as, as often. So I'm just really excited about um, just the, the special guests, all the incredible um, events that are going on. Uh, I think this is probably going to be uh, the, the best uh, fan fusion, and I've been going now for 10-plus years at least, um, pretty much since I, I moved to Phoenix. So, yeah, I'm just really excited for the uh, the whole event, and um, you know, just really excited to see everything that's going on. Justin, do you have anything? Yeah, I just want to echo that. It just, you know, it, it's very impressive. It seems like the show grows and grows and grows every year. So, um, you know, it's it's just really, really impressive how, how much you're able to fit in and into one show. Yeah, and I was curious, Joe, if there's anything uh, different this year that we need to tell uh, guests in terms of, you know, obviously they know in recent years the security was added, so make sure you give extra time. 
uh, for that. And I know that there was a, a cutoff date for the badges, so people had the option to actually have their badges mailed to them and stuff like that. Uh, are there any new tips or tricks that you wanted to make sure people were aware of so they, uh, you know, come in prepared? Um, nothing new. You mentioned the bad shipping. We did uh, finish that out, uh, and actually, uh, I was at the at our warehouse on um, uh, just a couple days ago, uh, Friday, packing uh, the the final uh, badges uh, to go out. Um, that will definitely help with lines. Um, I strongly recommend everybody make sure that you bring uh, a bottle that you can refill inside uh, with water. Uh, drink lots of, of water. We're in Arizona. It's a desert. It's hot. Um, definitely wear comfortable shoes um, and be prepared for lots of walking and lots of standing. Um, but also be prepared for lots and lots of foot soaking. Yeah, and that's always a good thing because, you know, you, you always have something that's unexpected. And what I've always found interesting is the cosplay there. Some of the cosplay is just incredibly creative and inventive, not just that they're skilled costumes, but some of the things that people choose to do. I, mean, I know they had one year, uh, I don't know if you saw this, he was zipping by the security office, but they had the guy who was uh, one of the uh, political press secretaries and he had a segue with a podium and he had a suit and tie and he kept pulling up doing propaganda speeches all throughout. And I'm like, all right, you know, that is just so crazy and inventive. You just don't think about stuff like that. And we had the guy who had the, uh, the Dr. Octopus outfit, complete with the working tentacles and stuff like that. So it's, it's always fun. And that's why I always love sitting at the booth when they come by and, you know, have the camera ready to go. Um, in terms of crowd, are you expecting, I know last year was a little different, first year back and everything. And I know that some people had said, there was a, a good crowd, but the panels didn't seem to have, it was kind of like this weird thing that certain panels, people didn't uh, fill up like they used to because they were off doing the autographs and just socializing again. Um, how are you on it, uh, numbers in terms of this year compared to past shows? And are there still tickets available for people who want to come last minute? There are absolutely uh, passes still available online, uh, and our, our pricing is going to uh, remain the same here for at least an, another few days. Um, it's, so it's really hard to tell. So last year definitely was a different year coming right back out of the pandemic. And I think you're right that a lot of people um, kind of approached the convention differently and were, were spending their time a little differently than they may have in the past. Um, we, we track uh, our, our attendance pretty carefully, but it's really hard to make a determination on, on whether we'll be kind of the, the same-ish, which is probably the case, or whether we'll see a bump or, or even a decline. But um, lots of folks really uh, make their decision to purchase close, like, day of the show. Uh, so it, it's really hard to say. I expect we'd be... Uh, pretty comparable to last year in terms of numbers of people, and hopefully people are taking advantage of the, uh, and I, I had to proofread every one of these, so I know the number quite well, 989 sessions in, uh, that, that we have planned, panels, events, parties, games, etc. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, you had yeah. mentioned earlier that there was a larger gaming area this year. Can you expand on that a little bit, please? Oh, yeah, exactly. We did expand on um, 
No, in, tr in terms of what's going to be offered, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I always do. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, last year we pulled all of the gaming, which had been kind of uh, in chunks in different places around the convention. We pulled that all into one space in uh, 120 uh, AD. And this year, we've shifted it into a larger section. So uh, it's now 30,000 square feet, uh, plus about 5,000 square feet of free event space where we have uh, our arcade alley. So those are all the classic uh, stand-up arcade cabinets and pinball machines. Uh, we've got uh, the folks from Saga down in Tucson coming up, and they'll be presenting an Artemis Starship simulator uh, and doing some giant-sized board games uh, with hands in that Arcade Alley area. And inside 120 BTV will be our uh, electronic gaming and our tabletop gaming hall. Uh, we've got, uh, I want to say, 30 exhibitor gaming exhibitors will be set up in there so it's essentially a second exhibitor hall focused just on gaming uh, and we also have several dozen uh, table uh, oh, I think we're close to 80 or 90 tables uh, where folks will be able to uh, play scheduled games and that schedule is posted on our website and on our new app uh, they can uh, also check out games at the game library which is hosted by mystery comics uh, and we have uh, collectible card game tournaments that will be running in that space we've got 23 tables that are dedicated to dungeons and dragons uh, and we've got um, retro gaming uh, so your classic home arcade systems uh, nes super nes n64 um, etc uh, that's hosted by Game On Expo, and the Gaming Zone folks are presenting modern games, so your PS5s and Xbox Ones and uh, Switches. You know, I was curious if there's, uh, if you could talk about the dealer room. We've always had a very large dealer room and vendors, and you know, in some years we've had some real big surprises like the PlayStation truck, so on and so forth. And I'm curious if you can talk about, you know, where you are in terms of uh, new companies coming in returning favorites how how packed up is the dealer room right now uh the, the the room is as packed as we can make it um we do have a full sold out exhibitor hall so it will have uh lots lots of exhibitors i don't even know the number uh and i'm i'm thankful that i don't have to uh manage that particular aspect of the convention we've got a very capable uh, director of operations, Kelly Ambrosia, that takes care of that for us. Um, but yeah, there will certainly be returning favorites. I know uh, Kids Need to Read, uh, uh, Brian Polito and Coffin Comics, uh, Jay Photos, uh, and many more. Uh, we, and you know, I forgot to mention when I was talking about guests, so we've got fantastic celebrity guests. This year, our comic book creator list is stunning um for for a couple of decades now that i've been working on the show we've had uh kind of the guests that we wanted to have and this year we have we have jim lee uh, uh who's currently the head of dc comics uh so definitely and he, he will be down in that exhibitor hall along with all the other comic book creators 
Oh, and uh, another uh, set of guests that I forgot to mention are the voice actors from the Star Wars The Clone Wars series, uh, Matt Lantner, uh, James Arnold Taylor, and Ashley Eckstein. Ashley uh, has the Star Wars brand for Universe, and they will be having a, a booth in the hall. So that'll be their first time. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, it's it's so overwhelming at first sometimes when you get in there because there's just so much to see so much to do but the beautiful thing is if you can't make one there's plenty of other options and that's always a really good thing because you know i tell people at the at conventions you have to accept that some rooms there's only three to five thousand they can't fit everyone in but the beautiful thing about it is if you have a plan sometimes your second third fourth or even fifth options are still fantastic and sometimes just popping into a room that has space you discover a whole new fandom or experience that you never would have thought of and you come out of there with a newfound appreciation for either the talent or the show so you know keep an open mind be flexible and uh, have a good time now before we close out i wanted to check again justin michael if you had anything else and obviously joe is there anything else that you wanted to make sure to uh include well, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up is how amazing the, the artists and the comic book artists and artists gallery are in general. Um, we've made some really good friends just by spending time with some of the artists down there. And just and they're always really open to conversation and discussing their works and everything else. So I'm really excited about, about that as well. I mean, it's really a good opportunity for um, people to meet their favorite authors, favorite um, writers, favorite you know, artists who do the comics really spend that time with them so i really encourage folks who don't always get an opportunity because there's so many other things going on to go down there um to interact with the, with the artists and the, the folks in the artist gallery because they really do um go out of their way to make everybody feel welcome so i just really appreciate um the experience that you know we can get when we're there all right well i appreciate you coming oh. on joe that was fantastic uh, any other things to close and if not well thank you so much we look forward to seeing you next week when we all get there yeah and actually i will uh say just one more thing since you mentioned all the things that there are to do we do have an app that's available for download now phoenix fan fusion 2023 and definitely recommend that folks download and install that it will certainly help you uh, narrow down your selection. You can create a personalized schedule and kind of list those first, second, third, fourth options. And that way uh, you'll have a little uh, little help getting around the convention and knowing what there is to do. Well, we cannot wait. Friday morning is going to get here uh, sooner, sooner than later, but a lot of stuff to prepare for, I'm sure. And we really thank you for taking the time out and we'll see you when we get there. All right, take care. Thank you, everybody. Well, that was really good, guys. I cannot wait. I mean, I um, obviously we have our panels, we have our booth. We are going to be outside of where is it? We are going to be outside North One Thirty One, and for those of you who remember, that's the one kind of around the corner. Uh, it's kind of interesting, Michael, hearing what they've got going on for One Twenty, because lately that has been the large room that they put us in, and so I was kind of like wondering how we ended up in One Thirty One, but it's perfect i mean they're roughly the same size so this is going to be a lot of fun we've got our uh booth we also have stuff going on with uh, charity fundraising for kids need to read on other charities so looking forward to that now switching gears guys we had a uh playstation live stream event the other day and uh you know there were some mixed responses people uh 
somewhat loved what they saw. Other people were disappointed, felt that there was not enough exclusives on there. And then we heard reports coming out that there apparently were several games that were planned to be included that were held back at the last moment, including the uh, online Last of Us game, which supposedly has now, um, you know, kind of fallen on the back burner a little bit. So, Michael, let's start with you. What did you make of all this? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to fall in the category of, meh, I give it a C, I think. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting is pretty much everything they showed is going to be on every other platform, PC and um, Xbox. So outside of really Spider-Man 2, there really wasn't anything exclusive to the Sony Play uh, Station at all. Um, even Marathon, which is a, uh, for those who don't know, Marathon was one of Bungie's first games. It was exclusive to Apple. Um, Apple Power PC in particular. Um, so um, that's where Bungie was really a, an Apple development company. Um, even I think the first Myth might have been Apple only, although Myth 2 was uh, on PC. Um, but even then, that they that are owned by Sony, um, that's a multi-platform game along with um, the other games they showed. Now, I will say that Alan Wake 2 I'm excited about. Again, that, that'll be a PC game for me. Um, so my thought on this was that they were holding back a lot of stuff because they needed some for Summer Games Fest. So not, I, I think there is stuff to show, although it's kind of questionable why they even did it. I know we kind of talked about why are they doing this right before Summer Game Fest because that's going to be where I think a lot of the um, premiere announcements are going to be. A lot of folks were saying this was kind of their E3 presentation, which was, again, um, if you're looking for Sony exclusives, it was very light on that. I mean, I, I mean Spider-Man 2 looks amazing. Um, for sure, I'm not, not going to discount that. Um, and then they, they announced the Project Q, which is a really odd device, which I think is dead on arrival at this point, um, because all it does is it streams Wi-Fi local PS5 stuff. It doesn't have um, capability to do much else other than stream from your PS5. And they already have the backbone, which attaches to a phone, um, where you can download the free app from Sony to stream stuff from your PS5. And you have the functionality of it being a phone as well. Um, so I, obviously we don't know much about Project Q um, other than from what, what I've seen and what from the take I've had with folks is um, unless it's under 150 which Sony is not good at pricing these things, um, it's really not going to have any, you know, again, um, other than if you want to play your PlayStation 5 while other people are using the TV, I, I, it doesn't have any draw at all for me. Um, PlayStation 5 is hardly silent as it is. Um, which means you're going to have it running while um, you're streaming someplace else anyways. Um, so, again, I think that's a huge miss on Sony, and I expect that will die um, fairly quickly. Uh, again, we've talked about how um, Sony handhelds in the past haven't fared very well, and this being a streaming-only device on Wi-Fi from your PS5 without any other functionality, no ability to download games, no ability to play other games, um, it has to be streaming directly from your PS5. Um, again, unless that comes in at like $100 where it's competing with the backbone, I don't see any, any market for this at all. So, all in all, I think it was an unnecessary show. They probably should have not done it and just left for Summer Game Fest. Um, and again, there, there wasn't anything there that was exclusive to Sony that we weren't already expecting. And again, unless they bring their A game for Summer Game Fest, I think it's a pretty much a, uh, an indication that we're not going to see much from a Sony exclusive for this year. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Someone wrote about the handheld. They said, so basically I can play Last of Us on the toilet. And, you know, I was thinking Which about it. Which you already if you have the fat phone for that. And, you know, and I'm, I was kind of sitting there going, that is odd. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, thinking about our house going, what scenario would I use that in? Well, okay, am I going to sit outside and play a video game? And the only other thing I could think of is maybe if people were over playing the PSVR 2 and I just said, you know what, I'm trying to finish a review for X, Y, or Z. Let me just go out in the other room and play this or something like that. But well, I you didn't know, do that either because it has to stream the game that's playing on the PS5. So you can't do multiple games on it. Right, and that was the and when, when I found that out, I was like, okay, so what's the point? I mean, if I'm in the house anywhere playing on a game, uh, right? Yeah, wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't I just sit in front of that console? Because it's just your device it doesn't have the capability of yeah. uh, downloading or playing locally games. So again, you, you, outside of somebody's watching TV and you want to play a PS5 game in another room, um, in my in my take, it's almost better to invest in a use PlayStation 5 uh, to put it in a different room. Particularly, well, we don't know the price point, but the, the guess has been around $300. Um, nobody's going to buy it for $300. I can't imagine a scenario where the 150 is even stretching it when you can get the backbone for $99. Um, and again, you get the functionality of the PS5 controller, um, the, the adaptive triggers and all that stuff. But right now, you can pair a PS5 controller to your tablet and stream games from your PlayStation 5 to the tablet. So, again, unless they come in at a, a good price point, which Sony is notoriously not good at, um, if this comes in above 150 I don't think anybody's going to buy it. There's there's literally no use case for it. Yeah, it, it's a lot of questions, that is for sure. Justin, do you have any uh, comments on all this? Yeah, I completely agree. I think it was a bit of a mixed bag. Now, I mean, there there were some stuff, there were some reveals in there that, uh, you know, were basically specifically targeted at someone like me. Like, you know, a remake of Metal Gear Solid 3. Like, yes, I, I will be playing that day one. Um, you know, Alan Wake 2, I've been, it's, might be my top anticipated game right now. Like, it, there was, there was some stuff right in the, in that show that, um, I think was, a, was very exciting. But like what Michael said, a lot of it, if not the vast majority of it, was not exclusive to the PS5. If you really kind of, or or, or Sony platforms. So um, if you really break it down, they had two that were exclusive. So they had uh, Final Fantasy 16, which comes out next month, um, and Spider-Man 2, which comes out uh, at the end of the year. Um, you know, I, I feel like sometimes companies do this when they don't have... Uh, or, or I, I should say the bigger publishers sometimes do the, uh, an approach like this whenever they don't have a lot of exclusives. They'll do a very exciting show where they're able to convince a lot of other publishers and developers to big to do big reveals of of their titles to kind of you know add fluff to the show. Um, so you know to a casual observer, you know it seems like oh wow, show, Sony had a really you know big show that showed a lot of like really cool titles. But you really kind of analyze it, and yeah, the vast majority of those titles aren't coming exclusive to the the PlayStation's uh, platform. Um, so you know, not bad. I mean, like I said, I think a lot of the things that they did show work very cool, and I am excited for. But uh, does it sell Sony platforms specifically? I think there are two titles in there that do, which is Final Fantasy and 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 Spider Man Two, but. 
if it's just two titles, that's uh, that's a little bit of a tough sell uh, if you're looking for something that is, you know, exclusive. Um, to to kind of add on to the uh, the streaming device, I, I completely agree. I think this thing um, was was not a good move. Um, you know, uh, at a cursory glance, if it was going to be something that, you know, is actually mobile, um, then sure. Uh but mobile technology is just not at that place yet. And the thing is, is that even streaming, uh, streaming content, uh, so streaming gaming content specifically to a device, very cool technology, but it's very mixed right now on, on how well it works. Um, so like what Michael said, I just don't really, I just really don't see what the use case is for, you know, if you if you have a PlayStation 5, you're going to want to play it on the largest television that you have. Um, you, you know, the, the, the use case of the switch is, you know, you could, you know, for $300, you can take the entire console wherever you want. Uh, but even then, you know, for me personally, I, I, I play it on a, uh, uh, on a television whenever I can. So the, the, this is basically like you can play your PlayStation five on a smaller screen in your house, but I just don't see, or at that, you know, the price point that's being talked about, I just don't see that being worth it. You know, it's interesting too. I just saw a uh, survey from the Game Awards, and it says, "Do you think you will buy a PlayStation Q handheld when it is released eight or later this year?" Yes, no, undecided. Seventy-six point one percent no. Fourteen point seven undecided. Nine point two percent yes. Now. That basically shows that you've got to do some convincing of people, and like Michael said, a price point and so on can have a lot to do with it. But this is my take out of all of this. Um, what was the big argument that we heard why there was no E3? Biggest argument we heard was companies didn't want to take part, and that of the companies that had initially said they wanted to take part, the biggest argument was we would not have playable builds or, uh, you know, suitable uh, builds of the game in time to justify the time travel and expense. Looking at these trailers, that seemed to be very accurate because, you know, let's take Ubisoft, for example. We had been told that they were going to be at E3. That was one of the main linchpins that was uh, propping up for other companies to come. And then we got to look at the Assassin's Creed game, and it was basically, uh, I, I mean, for lack of a better word, I would say it was a little more than an edited gameplay trailer. It looked good, but the argument, and then several of these games, I mean, sure, we had Spider-Man, but that is a lot closer along than a lot of, of these others, very much look like carefully edited and contained trailers. And I think that is where we're going to kind of have a potential problem with Summer Game Fest because we have not had live shows for gaming outside of the back shows. We've talked about how the larger companies are still holding back from those. And I think the problem is expectations have gone through the roof because people are expecting these things to be the be-all and end-all. And I think we can safely say that they still are not holding the impact of a major live event where you hear about it see it interact with things you know people come on and we talked about this the first year 
of the pandemic and we all tried to just say well you know at least we're getting something but how many shows did we have that were hyped up beyond belief and we sat there and it was like two hours of talking heads uh, trying to trend on social media lots of indie games no one cared about hoping to get to the end now uh, where we got a big reveal in recent years that has changed summer game fest has done a very good job of giving us um, big name titles and stuff like that. Same thing with the video game awards, same thing with the uh, Gamescom. But again, people expect more than they're getting. And we, we hear that at various trade shows and stuff. But, you know, from my standpoint, you, you guys are right. You know, people expected all of this stuff, didn't see it. And then what we saw, okay, looked good, but it was all essentially trailers. Then you heard reports that there were several other games, including a Last of Us game uh, online that was potentially going to be included and that these were all pulled back at the last moment. So, you know, the question comes, well, are these coming for Summer Game Fest? Are these coming for a later date? Or are these things that people are taking a look now and just saying, this isn't where we need it to be. I mean, we already had a disastrous uh, rollout for the new Gollum game that the reviews have been just absolutely scathing, and I believe it has quickly uh, made everyone forget Redfall, and they're saying, wow, you know, by comparison, that's a significantly better launch. So uh, Summer Game Fest coming up, you know, just over two weeks. We've got Xbox. We've got all the other things coming up on uh, June 8th. Uh, be interesting to see what we have. Hopefully it'll be uh, a lot of good stuff, and uh, we'll go from there. The other thing, one, one thing real quick that yeah. I wanted to bring up too is I think there was a lot of disappointment because they expected a release date for Spider-Man 2, and all we got was fall, right? Yeah. And I and I think in some ways that's good. You know, we've seen with Starfield, we've seen with um, when Notoriously got a war that kept getting pushed back, right? Um, I think it's a little bit dangerous now have release dates because it, it, it tends to force developers to drop games before they're ready. But again, Spider-Man 2 looked amazing, the, the, what we did get to see, but it is a little concerning when they're not ready to commit to a date on a game that we feel is fairly far along. So then there was questions of, if it doesn't make fall, maybe this is getting pushed back into early next year as well. And where does that leave us with exclusives? And again, we don't know. This may be the same boat that xbox and everything else is going to be in but yeah it's really interesting oh absolutely you know and the, the thing about it as i said i've told people when i worked at sierra our running joke was whenever a company announces a release date add six months to it because that way you're more likely to get an accurate idea of what it's going to be and if somebody actually puts a quality game out um you know uh, around the release date, then no one's going to complain. But, you know, the, the thing is, you, uh, anybody who's working game development will tell you, issues arise, stabilization arises, all kinds of things arise, and then you also have a business side of, you know, time budget, uh, expectations for investors, uh, just so on and so forth. It is a very complicated uh, pattern, that is for sure. The last thing I wanted to... Uh, close the show on today is um, the writer strike is now entered week four and uh, at this time we're hearing reports that uh, you know Max HBO Max has become Max and that they had essentially lumped 
the categories into a creator category, which did not sit well with the union, and that apparently the Writers Guild actually got involved and had that reversed within just a couple of weeks. Uh, but it will take them uh, a little bit of time to do that. At the same time, we've heard that Hulu and Disney Plus, like HBO Max, uh, at the time they were HBO Max, is removing titles from the streaming service. We've been told this is essentially to save money, uh, so on and so forth, pay tax write-offs. But now we've heard some things coming through the grapevine that, well, there's a lot more to it than that. Not only is it a tax write-off, it's a way to avoid having to pay royalties. So, uh, Justin, what do you make of all this? Yeah, it's interesting. So um, I, I, I think we're kind of in the phase now where there's kind of like, uh, you know, I don't want to say like playing of games, but um, it's sort of what it feels like of uh, essentially trying to re recategorize things in, in order to uh, in order to kind of get around the, the, the core issues at play. But, um, you know, I I don't want to say I'm optimistic, but it does seem like we are getting closer and closer to a conclusion. Um, it, it does feel a little bit different than the last time this happened. Last time it was very devastating and um, it seemed like it just kept dragging on and on and on. And it, you know, it's, it started to have very visual effects on the quality of the writing. Um, it, you know, shows, shows basically got canceled and, a lot of them who that did come back, they just didn't come back the same, and they weren't weren't able able to really recover. Um, this it doesn't really seem like it's it's uh, impacted quite as as uh, as deeply yet. But you know, give it another if if it lasts another month, then I could definitely see it um, having some some major effects. And Michael, your take, please. Yeah, I think I've heard like shows like The Mighty Ducks, Game Changers, and Willow are coming off the service. June 1st, so if you haven't watched those and wanted to, um, probably get on that right away. Um, and again, I, I, I was kind of critical of the Willow series. I just think they missed, that was a missed opportunity. Didn't hate it, but for a movie that I I loved so much and was one that I was um, really excited to see made into a series, I wish they could have done more with that. Whereas Game Changers, I thought they did really good. But it is kind of sad that we're we're seeing these types of games being played, to use what Justin said, because I, I agree, I think that's what it is, to, I don't know, maybe force a hand in, in, in some of the negotiations, saying, well, if this is the kind of um, you know, expectation that we're going to pay you these sort of royalties, we'll just remove your, your stuff from the, the service. I think that's a, a kind of a negative way to address some of these things. I, you know, I really hope we start to see some movement on these uh, the, um, the negotiations and uh, we get to see some of these things come back because let's not forget that Willow and uh, Mighty Ducks are both owned IPs from Disney. It's not like these are um, royalties they're paying to other studios to to put on, a prop, on their platform. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, really, I really think it's, it's kind of a negative way to, to handle this uh, and again I, I would say that it's less about tax savings and completely about um, royalty payments and, and again it's, it's, it's sad to see um, corporations going to these levels to kind of minimize uh, what the works that some of these folks are done. Yeah and listen to this so on Friday the uh, Writers Guild apparently 
stopped doing their picketing of individual filming locations and studios to hold a large multi-union rally. And uh, it was very interesting because it was held in Los Angeles and it was held very close to where the uh, state Democratic Party was holding its annual meeting. And so they said that members of SAG-AFTRA, which would be the Actors Guild, uh, IATSE and the Teamsters were joined with hotel workers, teachers, SEIU 721, SEIU 1000, and the AFSCME all joined the Writers Guild uh, out there in support of their strike. And it's interesting because it, the article says, and this was from ABC uh, 7 in Los Angeles, it says, zero progress has been made in resolving the dispute there is currently no words of any talks taking place or on the radar now we do know that they are negotiating with the directors we do know that they're negotiating with the actors and they said there is no official rule preventing the studios from making a deal with the writers while negotiating with the other union and they said that this is from the writers guild they're saying it is the studio's choice to let the strike continue because their argument is that essentially it's four weeks now. They're still not talking to us. They're still not scheduling. They're talking with the actors. They're talking with the directors. And essentially, we're basically, you know, out here. And again, the, you know, the standard size. It's hard to be out there emotionally and physically, uh, but we've got to stay out. We've got to stay in numbers and we've got to stay strong. So, you know, here you have it. And apparently this is, you know, they're digging in and, uh, uh we're we're already seeing all kinds of things like i don't know did, did you guys hear about the whole deadpool 3 thing no i haven't okay so um certain things like blade and like thunderbolts have been shelved because the writer strikes going on they were getting ready to film blade runner 2099 the prime video series over in ireland they put that on hold right now because the writer strike they did decide to go ahead and start filming Deadpool 3, but here's here's a small problem with it. Since Ryan Reynolds is one of the writers of the film, he is not allowed to ad-lib in any way, shape, or form because that would violate the current agreement because essentially that would be adding dialogue by a member of the Writers Guild. Now, anybody who has followed Deadpool films know that some of the best lines were essentially ad-libbed in the heat of the moment. So essentially, as I understand it, if they were to do that, they cannot use it. And maybe the best case scenario would be, I'm going to save that up in my head, and when the strike's resolved, maybe I can add it in in post-production. But that's got to be tough, especially when you have people like Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds who are famous for ribbing each other and rifting on each other. I mean, you just think about the creativity that could happen between the two of them, downtime, on a set, and then all of a sudden being able, having to say, sorry, you can't use any of that. That's, that's just crazy. But let's hope for calmer heads, everybody. Let's have a very safe Memorial Day weekend, and we will be back next weekend. May do our show a little later uh due to fan fusion and stuff got a really busy week ahead uh lots of stuff but until then take care folks be safe and we'll talk to you soon